At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. February is Black History Month, and we believe it's important to honor, celebrate, and pass the mic to black entrepreneurs and the support organizations that help empower them. Join us as we share the contributions and accomplishments of black entrepreneurs and learn about their lived experience as founders across Canada. Stay tuned all month and look for a recap of these stories and a complete list of resources at the end of February on the Startup Canada blog. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Kiosha Love. Kiosha Love is an award-winning artist, activist, and educator who creates space for wellness in marginalized communities. A writer and a poet, Kiosha explores the diverse narratives and identities of Black and racialized people to promote liberation and empowerment. Her poem, A Prayer for Black Women, has been shared nationally and featured in CBC's Poetic License. Kiosha founded Our Women's Voices in 2016, a Toronto-based nonprofit focused on amplifying the voices of women and making social change through art, education, and community organization. Her debut interview video series, Black and Vulnerable, explores Black vulnerability to promote wellness, collective power, and social awareness. Kiosha also teaches workshops on mental health, creative writing, and social justice. She's collaborated with Facebook, Nike, the Toronto Raptors, the Art Gallery of York University, and Never Apart magazine. In 2019, she received the RISE Community Award for her contributions to her community. Kiosha, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you here. We don't often get to talk to poets on a business po- <laughs> podcast, but I love the idea that poetry can be a part of a brand, part of a business, and part of everyday life. So absolutely. Cool. Your website describes you as a born storyteller, and we can see that your work exists in many different media, from video to written word, to uh, building community spaces. So when did you and the art of storytelling first meet? I would say pretty, pretty young. Um, I've always been a pretty vocal, outspoken expressionist. And I loved not only just talking, but writing. And I picked up a journal um, at a very young age. Probably when I was about six or seven, I started writing and journaling. um, And I fell in love with authors and books and other poets like Maya Angelou and Audre Lorde and 
I was always reading in my little corner um, while my other siblings were, you know, playing with their Barbie dolls and stuff like that. Um, I've always loved um, literature. I've always loved English. And so that passion came on pretty early on. And when I started school, it was a very clear passion as well that my teachers saw in me. Wow. So journaling at six, that, 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 that that's pretty amazing. Um, I was having trouble making, you know, coherent thoughts at the age of um, have you ever gone, did you still have those journals? Have you ever gone back to look at them? Do you know what you said? Yes. I was just talking to a friend about that. I don't think I have as little as seven, but I do have as little as yeah. 12. One of my middle school journals I actually still have with me. I have my middle school journal, my high school journal, um, pre-adult and my current journal all still with me now. And every now and then I look at it for a little laugh, but it's really nice to look back and see how I've grown and how I've elevated. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful thing to read back. Journaling is so powerful, and it's something I, I love and hope to continue doing. Kiosha, you're an artist, activist, educator, all essential roles in society, but but it's really hard in general to make a living doing this kind of work. So tell me how you've built your brand and your business. I think outside of the brand, it's also purpose. And that's something I always keep as an affirmation for myself when things do get hard, which we'll get to how hard it is to run any business, regardless of the field. But I think um, that endurance, that you know, determination is through purpose and knowing what you're passionate about and knowing what you want to do in this planet in this time. Um, and I've always wanted to just help people be a voice, um, encourage women like me to be able to speak up um, and be creative and find themselves in ways they felt like they couldn't. And that those are all drivers for me in all of my creative pursuits and all of the things that I do, whether it is education or activism or art. Um, everything is about, for me at least, is empowerment and transformation and social change um, for folks who felt like having a better world isn't possible or having an abundant, inspiring world wasn't possible. Um, and so I think what drives me is that purpose piece um, and then, you know, building the brand after I've established purpose and remembering why I'm here in the first place. Um, and then honestly, community support, family and friends have always, always told me to keep going, even when I felt like Ugh, it's getting impossible or getting difficult or, you know, having to sell yourself essentially and let people know you're valuable and remembering where my self-worth lies, regardless of what people think or what, you know, number they want to throw at me. Um, I've had really lucky friends and family who've continued to support me and empower me throughout this whole journey in these past few years. Very cool. You also offer a, a bunch of workshops. I'm wondering if you can tell us about some of the services you offer and, and who the target market is. I love teaching. And so at a very young age, it's funny, my uncle, who's a TDSB teacher, he always told me that he thinks I should be a teacher. I immediately refused because I feel like, first of all, teachers don't get paid enough. And I hope people who are listening to this continue to advocate for teachers and you know their pay and their worth um, because it's just ridiculous how low they get paid. But also, I know the boundaries and the rules and all the nitty gritty that gets tossed into being a public school teacher. Um, and I just knew that wasn't for me because I like to go outside the rules. <laughs> and I also don't like to be restricted to a classroom or restricted to a certain set of hours. Um, and when I went to school um, 
for psychology and English, um, my love for teaching continued to grow, even though I thought I was going to pursue a different career. And so I decided to start offering workshops on topics that were passionate to me. And I felt like people weren't getting in an average classroom. And it kind of started from there. Um, I teach workshops around mental health, radical self-care, social justice, womanism, intersectional feminism, and social change, um, and also creative writing. I offer a various of topics on basically everything that I do and everything that I love. Um, and I offer them to all ages. I've offered them for colleagues in, you know, um, other organizations that are, you know, 30 to 40 plus. I offer them in schools for younger kids. I've offered them in high schools. So I've taught most ages, actually, for the past four to five years. Um, my workshops are very accessible, and I, I love sharing them with the world. And are they, um, you know, one-off things? Are they courses? They they virtual? Can you tell us just a little bit about how they're delivered? Of course, um, it's all of it actually. So it depends on what the client actually whatever wants. Yeah, whatever it takes. Um, especially during COVID, a lot of my workshops went completely virtual. I was doing a program with the TDSB, and it was all virtual. So I was teaching all of my grade sixes virtually. Um, however, I just did a workshop for York University that was in person. Um, so it really varies on what um, what that client needs and, you know, how it's accessible for their students or their faculty or their staff and et cetera. Um, and, you know, they could range from one hour to two hours. So you can teach creative writing in a couple hours? Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, there's so much to get through in that hour or two hours, but there's so much to be done in that hour and two hours. And honestly, so much to, sh- uh, to share and tell. Um, there hasn't been one time I've seen someone not write something incredible in a one hour workshop. I'm actually surprised every single time, you know, it could be an eight year old or a 25 year old. They're always sharing something so um, poignant and inspiring in just that hour. Um, So you'll be surprised that as long as you give someone the time and the tools, the support, and also just like the fun and the inspiration of it, letting them know what they're being taught is useful and valuable and, you know, kind of fun and great. um, You see sparks all the time. Well, I know there are some businesses that enjoy, you know, booking speakers and having them do a lunch and learn session or whatever in order to, uh, you know, expose their people to some cool ideas and help in their professional development and just, you know, their growth as people. Do you do any of this work for business or are you open to it in case there's any listeners who are? No, no, of course I do do it um, for business. And I've been a part of many conferences where I offer my workshops or just my speaking um, for that organization or that company. So yeah, of course. How long did it take you to get to where you are today? I mean, there must've been some anxious moments along the way and, you know, some confusion, a few diversions here and there down the wrong path. Can you tell us about the journey? Absolutely. I think first it all kind of started when I was in university. I went to Ryerson University, which is now, um, TMU. And um, I thought I had a very narrow path, study psychology, get my master's, get my PhD, you know, become a therapist um, or some type of psychologist. Um, Because again, I I was still empowered and inspired by helping people and mental health has always been really important to me. Um, But there was a lot of discrepancies in the healthcare system, in psychology, in mental health that really troubled me and discouraged me, actually, just knowing how expensive things costed, not just for me as a psychologist, but 
um, for the people who would want to see me, patients, clients. Uh, I interned at a a psychology clinic and I had a pretty poor experience knowing what the demographic was and, you know, how expensive their services were. And just being from class to class and hearing about all the things that are going on when it comes to, you know, black health discrepancies and how many people die due to mental health or just due to pregnancy and negligence from their doctors and their nurses, I really wanted to find a more accessible way to help people. Um, And even though I'm saying that now with a lot more like confidence, it took me a long time to realize how I was going to do that. Did I want to like go through school? for more years and really get those certain credentials so I could make that impact? Or did I want to do the work now? And uh, I had a lot of people telling me different things of how to do it. And it was really hard for me to find the voice that was telling me what mattered most, especially because I also have always been a writer at heart. And part of me never wanted to abandon that dream. Um, And so it took me a a long time actually going through university to figure out how I was going to use this degree in some capacity to still help people, but also, is it actually what I want to do? How long did I want to study? What about writing? What about helping others? What about my creative pursuits? Um, So it took a long time to figure out how to create, you know, equity and accessibility within my practices and also make it something that was still joyful for me. So that was really hard. And I think also the hardest part was just the lack of representation. There wasn't a lot of Black women, even in my program at the time, because I started university in 2015. Um, so, you know, it's been quite some time. Um, there was such a lack of people that looked like me in my program and a lack of understanding of what people like me needed when it, come, when it came to mental health. Now we're in 2023, there's a lot more nuance and information and context. But for me, as a still a very young girl, bright-eyed and hopeful, I was pretty discouraged right away once I found out some hard truths about um, Black mental health in the school system. Wow, what a story. Thank you for persisting and, and finding your way, because I, I, I think you have a gift and it's wonderful that you, you figured out the best way to deliver it. I love that you mentioned finding a way to find, we'll put it in business terms, product market fit. <laughs> so you would um, offer something, you know, the right programs, the right, the, the, the right product for the right people. But you also said, you know, and making sure that your personal joy remained part of it. And I think that that's not a word I hear a lot of entrepreneurs use, but certainly the entrepreneur lifestyle lets you occasionally build a, 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 a program, a, a series of offerings that reflect who you are and the contribution you want to make to the world. So tell us just a little bit about that. Do you still get joy out of your business? Absolutely. And to uh, to be so frank, I wouldn't do it if it didn't bring me joy. And I know that's not always been a privilege for a lot of entrepreneurs um, and Black women in general. Um, I grew up in a family where working is just work. And you're doing it out of sacrifice and you're doing it out of necessity. And I feel like I'm in a place now where I'm able to do something a little bit different and work out of place of want and desire and not out of necessity. Obviously, I'm being a little bit dramatic. We need money. But I, I truly mean it in a more... Um, I can choose passions that I love. I can choose creative pursuits and career pursuits that are actually bringing me joy opposed to just doing it for the dollar only. I think everybody... Um, who's doing what they love still is in it for the money. And I think that's smart and sustainability. However, the main thing for me has always been passion and purpose. 
Um, and so, yes, it still brings me joy. And I think that's what it really is for me. Right. I mean, when I was in high school and learning about economics and life and the business world, never once did anyone suggest that one could actually build a life of joyous work. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I think that's one of the great things of this entrepreneurial revolution that we've seen in the past couple of decades is people are realizing that, yes, this can be done and you can break the mold. You can break old habits. You can find the intersection of what you want to do and what you love to do and what you're good at and, and actually create a spectacular life. And, and I hope you're on the way with that. No, 100% it's possible. And it's it's wild because like you said, decades ago, we never thought it was. And I know a lot of people still tr- struggle with being in jobs they just don't like or don't feel comfortable in or are not having a good work culture at all. Um, and that's hard, right? Having a very structured life that depends on money and keeping going, keeping it going, regardless of whether you enjoy it or not. Um, so I send my just care and love to the people who are still in jobs that are still difficult and uninspiring. Um, I'm really glad that I'm able to have a different point of view when it comes to work and do the work that really does give me joy, but also be very selective of what kind of opportunities I take on. That's another thing with being an entrepreneur that I find really great is being able to pick and choose what is serving you and what will actually build you up opposed to disempower you. And so I've been really choosing work, choosing opportunities, choosing paths that I think lead to my most fulfillment. And that's important to me. And that's something I hope to teach other people and also future children. Right. I think another thing that you have going for you is that you're probably able to, and I'm sure you don't talk about this too much you're probably able to have some powerful impact on people's lives um i don't want you to you know brag unnecessarily but can you talk a little bit about the impact that you think you've been able to have yeah i think it's very you know, modest to do this it's very un-canadian but but let's, let's i know it is it's definitely un-canadian i'm already getting uncomfortable but you know it's important even this is important work sharing what you do and why it's important i know i have to <laughs> stand tall in that honestly i think one of the biggest accomplishments about doing this kind of work that makes an impact is just making people feel like they can um show up for themselves more um, when I show up in a space and I put on a brave face and I'm able to speak, I'm humble, I'm able to be passionate, I am showing other girls, other Black girls, that they're able to do that as well, that there's nothing wrong with being loud, that there's nothing wrong with being outspoken, um, there's nothing wrong with wanting to lead. Um, and these are things that had a lot of stigmas and stereotypes when I was growing up. And so I think that is my biggest legacy currently of just teaching young girls that it's okay to... Um, it's okay to be whatever stereotype you've been called, whether that's sassy, whether that's bossy, whether that's loud, outspoken, too much, whatever it is they've called you, it is okay because you can use all of that and become something that a lot of people are afraid to become or don't have the power to become. And I think that's amazing. And I think we should all inspire to be our most powerful and you know self-actualized version of ourselves. Um, but because of these stereotypes and these labels, we've smalled ourselves we've shrunken ourselves and we've decided to be more quiet we've decided to be a a little bit more mediocre version of ourselves and i think 
something I'm really grateful that I'm able to do is tell people, tell girls that they can be that big version of them, version of themselves. I want to frame everything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Be loud. Don't be afraid to lead. Don't be afraid to stand out. It's it, it, it's it's all beautiful, and it's it's the key not just to having a better life and to becoming a better person, but to build a better uh, society. So yeah, man, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. I want to talk a little bit about your your new video series, Black and Vulnerable, on the CBC's Creator Network. Tell me about the the the, the concept behind this series and 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 your motivations. Yes, of course. And this actually ties into um, my schooling and still being able to apply my passion and my need to advocate for mental health while still being a creative artist. Um, Mental health and psychology and, you know, wellness will always be a huge aspect of my life because I've lived with family members who experience mental health challenges. And so I know what it's like firsthand to not have the resources and not to have the tools and also to feel like you don't have access to wellness or you don't have access to mental health support. And so when CBC offered me a a series, a a mini series to focus on a social issue of my choice that I could write and develop, um, there were so many things that I could have done, but I knew that I wanted it to be mental health focused. Um, And I had already started this Instagram page called Black and Vulnerable. um, And that was like my personal little diary. And it basically covered mental health issues, you know, um, personal issues, growth, self-development, all that fun but hard stuff. And um, I decided that I wanted to take that to the next step and make it an interview series where I spoke to people about how they are in their mental health journeys and what resources they currently have or what resources they currently recommend. Um, And also have a playful conversation about us just going through life and, you know, kind of pushing on, even though there's a lot of hurdles on the way. And that was a really wonderful experience, being able to write something like that and being able to create something like that. Um, And all the series has ended. Black and Vulnerable is actually launching a podcast next month. And tell us about the podcast. It's going to be following the exact same formula as the CBC series. However, it will be on a podcast format. Um, So I'll be interviewing friends and industry professionals and peers and community members about several different topics in the Black community and centering Black mental health and wellness. And just having fun, lighthearted, but informative conversations on how we can make change at home first because a lot of people want to be leaders and be loud and make change and be at these streets and do these wonderful things but there's a lot of things going on internally that i i love to unpack and love to talk about um and i i just want to encourage people to know that they're less alone and there are resources out there and a lot of the time our biggest resource is ourselves and so i'm hoping that this podcast will raise awareness bring you know information but also be a fun lighthearted conversation where people could feel seen and feel heard in those conversations with my peers well that's beautiful i'll, I'll certainly be listening if someone Thank in the you. meantime if someone wants to uh, look up black and vulnerable where can they find that it's on Instagram, and the first two episodes of the CBC series is also on YouTube. On YouTube. Okay. Beautiful. Now, you're, you're probably best known for a poem you wrote, A Prayer for Black Women, um, a very powerful piece that, that remembers and honors Black ancestors and, and statements that demand protection for Black women and girls. 
wondering if you can speak to the women and girls who inspired you for this piece and the context in which the poem was written. Yes, this poem, even speaking about it always gives me goosebumps because I actually wrote it for a Black girl that I've never, ever met, but her story really inspired me during the whole you know, BLM movement and protests and riots that were happening globally. One of a beautiful activist named Alua Toyan Salu, she was very passionate, very bold, very powerful. And she was a leader um, amongst one of these protests and spoke out against the violence that Black women were experiencing. Um, and she actually was murdered because of it. And her death really spoke to me because I felt like that easily could have been me as someone who is also outspoken, also a dark-skinned Black woman, someone who also decides to be bold even when it's unsafe. Um, someone easily could have murdered me as well because they decided that what I said was not okay. And it really just brought up a lot of emotions for me. Obviously, this is not the first person um, to experience this kind of death due to speaking out. But her death specifically really, really angered me and frustrated me. And I wrote that poem within maybe 25 minutes after hearing about what happened. Um, and also it it was jarring for me and even harder for me because I was following her story before it, it was actually announced that she died um, on Twitter, she was missing. And so, you know, I'm an active Twitter user as well. And so I was following her story of like, oh, she's missing and just hoping for the best after finding out that she was actually dead, that, oh, that just- At that point, she's a friend, me. she's not a headline. Exactly, exactly. And she is a me, she's my sister, she is like family, she's a friend, as you said. Um, so it was really hard for me to grapple with that, um, especially because I think, um, you know, two weeks before then, I had spoken up at one of the Toronto protests um, and I had received a lot of coverage and a lot of people had known my name because of the speech I said at the Toronto protest. Um, and I just, again, it was fear, it was anger, sadness, grief, it was all of it. And so I had written that poem and and she's the inspiration, Black women are the inspiration of that poem and may she rest in peace. Tell us a little bit about uh, how much or how often or where this, the, the poem has been performed and, and, and shared and, and how Canadians have embraced it. The outpour of support and love has been really, really beautiful. That piece um, has been shared on CBC's Poetic License. It has been shared on many platforms, many Instagram pages. Many outlets have reposted it and have shared it with their friends and their peers. It also became a t-shirt um, that Bully Mag produced and you could actually purchase um, that poem that's on a beautiful t-shirt and all the proceeds went to a black arts organization called Nia Center for the Arts. And so it's on a t-shirt, you know, I recorded it for the poetic license. I've performed it for many um, organizations and universities and I'll actually be performing it for CBC's live Black History Month event. Um, so this piece will forever live on and will always be essential and important to me. And I, I feel so lucky and blessed to have been able to read it and share it with so many people. And uh, and, and if you want to listen to it uh, uh, to, after this podcast is over, uh, if you just Google a prayer for Black women, um, you will find it and you'll be able to hear Kiyosha uh, reciting this poem. And it's a very powerful experience. Kiyosha, is there a particular moment or project that uh, 
you're most proud of and all the work that you've done? Yeah, I, I feel like I've said this so many times in other interviews, but it's true. This is the thing that I'm most proud of. And it's my nonprofit, Our Woman's Voice voices and um i founded it in 2016 when i was 20 years old and it started off as a passion project to highlight university students specifically women identifying university students and their stories and the things that they were experiencing at home at school in their jobs just to kind of get more awareness on the women's experience and to um, create a platform where we could just have a sisterhood a womanhood and that online project just became something way bigger than myself. And we started having open mics and events and panels and summits. And it just became this beautiful platform with thousands of followers and thousands of supporters. And we've done so many things in Toronto that I'm so, so proud of, so proud of. Until this day, as much as things have dramatically have changed since what it was when I was 20 years old versus now, I will forever be proud of what I've created and what we've done together. Fabulous. Your career, your projects, obviously they keep shaping, changing and reshaping and, uh, and, and, and uh, reforming. Do you have a planning process? Do you, did, did you have a, a five-year plan? Do you know what you want to be doing next year and the year after that? Or does you making it up as you go along, dance into the music that's playing? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I think for me right now, my biggest goal is to continue writing. I feel like writing has been able to bring me into so many places and has constantly shown me that I deserve to pursue the arts because there's been a lot of underestimate within myself, feeling like the art will not be enough. But I think in the last few years, um, it has shown me that I'm deserving and worthy of continuing to pursue that. And so I hope one day I'm able to publish a book and, and continue to share more of my essays and my poetry and my writing pieces with the world. Um, and I also hope that I could continue teaching. I love teaching. It's something I'm very passionate about. I love teaching poetry. I love teaching creative writing. I love teaching about mental health and social change and empowering women and girls and youth. And so more writing, more teaching. That is something I hope I can, can continue to do in the rest of my career. Fabulous. One of the things that one of the unfortunate statistics that, that, that we have is that uh, the Black Canadians don't seem to be participating in the the startup ecosystem as, 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 as much as some other groups. And wondering if you're seeing any changes in this, are we seeing so, 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 some, some evidence that uh, we're getting better at that? Uh, what are you seeing out there? Absolutely. Um, there are so many Black entrepreneurs on the rise right now, not only just in my family, but in my community who are doing incredible things, whether it's being a designer, starting their own businesses in the cleaning industry, in the um, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the word for the digital, the digital experience community. Like there's so many entrepreneurs right now who are doing really great in the fashion world, um, graphic design, literary world. I'm just seeing so many wonderful folks doing incredible things. There is a beautiful future for black entrepreneurs and black creatives happening as we know it. And I'm, I'm really excited and looking forward to see all the wonderful things that we continue to produce. And I think there are many artists, many entrepreneurs that are on the rise currently, and we could see a rise in startups from our community happening right now. I love that uh, through entrepreneurship, business becomes a, a creative platform that we can find ways 
to use it to be the people we want to be, to sell the product that, 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 that is ours to create. And we have the tools through, 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 through the, the model, through the framework of a business. We have the tools to reach greater audiences now than we've ever been able to before. So, so many people or communities that feel marginalized have a voice and have a role to play uh, since the established big business, the big competitors have no clue about any of this <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so I think it's a wonderful time uh, to, to, to be working on yourself, to be working on a, a business platform, products and services to sell, because this is the time when this is a time unique in human history, when you can reach a global audience in seconds, people who think like you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. The digital age has really excelled and, helped a lot of people of all groups of all communities really get their message across get their product their service across in um crazy minutes and seconds overnight um and i think it's a beautiful thing and i think it just also drives people lets them know that what used to be more impossible just 10 years ago is less impossible today um and it's, it's quite inspiring right do you have any thoughts in terms of i mean you know, the market is out there, but there's also, you know, so much noise, so many voices. It's hard to get heard. Do you have any experience in terms of saying, hey, this is a way that I found to break through, to get some attention, to, to, to reach the market I'm looking for? I would say it was two things. One, it was networking amongst my own community, not feeling like I had to go you know, ladder up, but working horizontally with peers and friends I already knew. Um, It's like being friends with one person is great, but they're also friends. They have their own community, right? So for example, if I work with another writer and they're already in my community, I'm not only going to reach, they're not only going to reach my audience, I'm going to reach theirs, right? So working horizontally and staying within my community and with my peers has been really helpful um, to reach more people and like-minded people to know about the work that I do. Um, but also not being afraid to pitch myself and to let people know what I do and what my work has really helped open doors for me. Once I let go of that self-insecurity and feel like, you know, I, I can't do this or it's cringy to talk about myself or to introduce myself or introduce my work. Um, it really opened so much more doors for me than it was before I used to talk about myself in new spaces. So just pitching myself has been really great for my career as well. Right. Perfect. Okay. We've been talking to Kiosha Love, who's a wonderful Toronto based poet, artist, activist, educator, um, working in so many interesting areas and, and working on, on behalf of so many uh, terrific issues. Kiosha, do you have any final thoughts or advice for your community, Black founders, or the entrepreneurship ecosystem in Canada? Um, I would say, going back to something you mentioned before around how a lot of entrepreneurs, um, you know, a, a decade ago weren't able to do the things that they were joyful about or what they were passionate about. And so my advice is, to really find what you're passionate about. I really think it's much easier to excel when you love what you do. Not to say that people who have businesses that they don't really love, they're not doing well um, because it's still possible, but I think it's easier when you love it. There's so much clarity on direction. There's so much clarity on your audience. There's so much clarity on you know, how you're going to do it because um, the motivator is just different. So I encourage founders, creatives, entrepreneurs, if you're just starting up, if you're looking for that next thing, 
start with what you're passionate with, because I'm sure there's a bright idea within there. I love it. I love it. And uh, I wrote it down. Find what you're passionate about, because it's a lot easier to excel in the thing yes. you love to do. Might not have got every word right. I think you said it better than I did, but uh, but thank you for saying that. Um, Congratulations on your success so far. Thank you for being a voice for so many people, for finding your voice and then helping so many other people find theirs. Kyosho, good luck with all the new projects and we'll look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much, Rick. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. The pleasure was ours. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence. <laughs>